Welcome to Good Christian People, an honest conversation between church leaders who recognize we're not perfect, we're barely good, but we want to be great. On today's episode, Tim lets a kid starve in a Puerto Rican airport, Mark Wahlberg almost ruins a teenager's life, and we begin a two-part conversation about how to disciple the next generation. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode four of Good Christian People, the podcast. Tim is uh, to my left in front of me, Josie is to my right in front of me, and we have someone very special in the house today. Very special indeed. It's Jesus. He is here. We're four are gathered. Yeah, we're at least two or more. He is. But we also have Jesus's favorite missionary, uh, one of Jesus's favorite people in the whole wide world. In fact, he is the reason that we are all here today at 8 a.m. in the morning recording. Give me a break. This is ridiculous. Sun's been up for four hours. The sun has not. It's been storming. This would be a perfect day to sleep in. But I am very excited because... What this means is that uh, since I still have my morning voice, Josie is not going to have to EQ in any bass. It's going to make me sound like a man, which I'm thrilled about. Yeah, that doesn't happen often. Guys, we are so excited to have in the house today one of our favorite people in the whole wide world. It is Justin Elizabeth Hannigan. What's that? <laughs> Elizabeth? Is that for real your middle name? What's that your middle is name? my mom's name. Yeah. But my middle name, according to Tim, is Bear. Yes. Justin Bear. Justin Bear. I've been, I mean, three years old, I was carrying around a bear, and my parents started calling me Justin Bear, and literally no one knows that except Tim. JB. He has always called me JB. So that's why it's J. I've heard him call you JB for like a year. I don't even know my own middle name. I just think it's Bear. (laughs) Bear. Well, what's up, Bear? We're uh, we're so excited to have you here. Um, This is... You know, we really wanted to when when you're in town because uh, you're coming through with your you know parade of uh, family members, and we were like, we need to get you on the podcast, um, not just because of the wisdom you have, but because it makes us sound legit having a guest. Am I the first guest? You're the first guest. Dude, this is the fourth episode, and we really needed a, a third person on the microphone. It was getting stale already talking. Well, to this no, guy. What, so. <laughs> what it was is it episode three was so good. I went, we like, we pretty much need to stop podcasting at this point. Uh, and so we thought we would bring it in. Have you come in to help us take it up a notch? Sorry to disappoint. Our second, our second uh, podcast already moved mountains. We actually changed the way Liberty university. We did, uh, conducts their business, even though the second episode has not yet aired aired yet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like what we did is, is I guess this podcast is like a vision board. We like spoke it into existence and the world changed. No, literally we recorded, uh, and and we kind of riffed on Jerry Jr. for a bit. And I think it was that night or the next night, uh, Liberty um, decided we're done. He gone. He gone. He gone. So, Justin Hannigan, you are the executive director of Ends Cycling, correct? Which is a mission. Well, you tell us what it is. Yeah, not to be confused with End Cycling, which uh, <laughs> Jeremy Willett started. He actually wanted to get rid of cycling altogether in <laughs> the world. <laughs> I know you are. That's the problem. <laughs> I'm here today. Um, so, Ends of the Air Cycling is a ministry of New International. We have the chance to 
host Christ Center Cycling Tours that impact global youth. Awesome, man. That's really good. That should be on a shirt or a logo or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and you're obviously going to hear the camaraderie today on the podcast. Anybody for the three people who are listening, um, uh, Justin and Jeff and I have known each other for a long time. I've actually known Justin since we were 12 or 11, somewhere in there. And so my story that I always tell people is that when we met, we were playing baseball. And uh, I was pretty good at baseball. And lovingly, Justin was a turd. Uh, <laughs> now, as adults, now we connect over cycling, of which Justin is really good and I'm a turd. Yeah. So <laughs> we have reversed roles. Yeah. He's like a bear at cycling. Yeah, bear. Yeah, total bear. bear. <laughs> Just need to call it. Now, is it, I guess it's the animal bear. Yeah, Not B A R E. Yeah, I was, I was carrying just a stuffed teddy bear, so Justin Bear, and uh, took it everywhere I went. And and so since you met Tim when you guys were at eleven, so this was at eleven when you were Little carrying around your bear. Yeah, I was no <laughs> three. No. That's just what his father called him, <laughs> Justin Bear. Yeah. Justin Bear. I've I've never known why you call I pick him Justin up on Bear. Nicknames. I but I showed up at Faith at seventeen. Yeah, and I, was, I saw Tim. I was like, I know that guy. Then I saw his dad. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And it was just like, dude. We're saved. You guys are saved. This is pretty awesome. I'm still terrible at baseball. Yeah. To and this I've, day, I literally been, cannot catch a ball. This table <laughs> Please is... Please teach me. This right, table is the I'm at the right table. table. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> you are. Yeah, this is the table that doesn't have any... Yeah, me and Joe over here, we're like Kyle Ripken and Manny Machado, so... Okay. Joe looks yeah. hit the face that Joe just made. <laughs> I don't get that reference. I'm not going to respond to it. And he's also like, we've had a third microphone the whole time. Why haven't I been able to speak? Yeah, exactly. Joe, we just love messing with you. We love you. Uh, and Hannah, can we met, I mean, we met in 2003, I believe. Yeah. It was the summer of 2003. Lake Placid. Lake Placid. Mission, mission trip. trip. And that's when we found out we were like spiritual soulmates almost. Yes. And we had a, we had a blast doing some missions. Yeah, it was, I shouldn't have said that edit, we'll edit it in post, but we hung out. We, we got to know each other and, and uh, just had an absolute blast. Hanneken is what's a fun fact about him is that he is the one person in America who has seen PAX 217 more times than Pax 217's wow. family. That, mm. that, that I don't think that's true. from the past, that name. Yeah. Pax 217. Yeah. Wow. Well, and when I met you, you gave me a Five Iron Frenzy CD yeah. that I had I had never even heard of ska music prior to that. So I feel like I should publicly thank you now. Yeah. Because <laughs> you and two, we are the only two guys in the world that still listen to ska. Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah, and I would. I actually brought you here today to ask if I could get that, um, that <laughs> CD back. Wow. Even the guys... From those bands, don't listen to Scott anymore. Right, exactly. They didn't. Want, they don't even play Scott anymore. <laughs> That's right. That's, yeah, but and fun fact: at your wedding, oh yes. you actually requested a ska song. You're still the one. Me, yes, by, by Roper. Roper, and me and you and your youth group. Yes, skanked, skanked. on your dance floor. And my grandparents skanked as well. <laughs> no, they thought it was. They thought it was choreographed. They were like, "How long?" <laughs> Did you have that guy work with those kids on that dance? I'm de- I'm, no, I'm dead serious. There was a lot of flailing. There was flailing. The how do you how do you how do you dance to? You're still the one. Shania Twain. Mm-hmm. You're, still, You're the still the one. I run to in a ska, no, in a ska version. Will I be long to? Yeah, it's okay. it's and it's really really fast. And all skanking is is basically reverse jogging in place. I've instead lost of all kicking faith your, in the world, today. instead of kicking your legs backward, you kick them forward, and you I, I don't know. It's just and we did it, and we really impressed Hannigan's grandparents, and yeah. uh, that was 
So that it's a moonwalk for people who can't moonwalk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's a moon skit. I don't know what it is. But, uh, man, we're, we're so glad to have you with us. And so for those of you who are listening, um, on our last episode, we indicated at the end that we were going to be talking about individualism, uh, compassion, what it means to live out your faith and how we treat other people. But because we, had this, yeah, because we had this opportunity to get Hanneken uh, in the house with us, we decided we're going to pivot a little bit. We will come back to that topic uh, in the next couple episodes. But We plan well. We do. Well, I mean, it's kind of Hanneken's fault for not telling us that he was going to be here, even though he told us last year at this time. Um, I have a counter going on how many times you say the word pivot from this point forward. Okay. Just so you know, that's like five already. Nice. But I haven't said it in the podcast. True. I said it in, in pre. And like Ross Geller over there. Pivot! Pivot. Pivot. All right. So Shut that, up. But I only counts as two for me. <laughs> um, I'm going to count how many times you uh, use your California accent on words that have long eyes. Tonight. Tonight. Cry. 100%. Oh, man. It's the best. Keep it going. Yeah. All right. Should we move on? <laughs> I don't know. I'm having fun. Yeah, it's fun. I don't think our listeners care. Hashtag blessed. Well, our listeners do care. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. So here's what we're going to do. Today, since we have Hanneken in the house, we're actually going to start a conversation that will continue on to next episode where we're going to be talking about the importance of discipleships for the generations under us. Mm. All of us at the tables have had some kind of experience in student ministry, whether it's college ministry. You guys have both been uh, youth pastors. I've served with college, serving with college students. And um, we have grown up in youth groups, or at least Hanneken, uh, Dr. Higgins at Faith has said that you have grown up in the youth. Totally not true. Not true. Call him a liar. I love Dr. H and he can Me remember too. the past any way he wants. He does. He yeah. does. I was never an attendee at any he, youth group ever. He remembers pre-Vietnam a whole lot better than the <laughs> 90s. So. <laughs> So what we are going to do today is we thought it'd be fun in our first little opening segment, hashtag blessed, where we come together and we just share something lighthearted and fun Yeah, that we would open up with some stories about our experiences in youth ministry, whether it was serving in youth ministry or actually in as a youth. And Tim, why don't you start us off? I got a couple of stories, man. Tell so them. yeah, I served as a youth pastor for four or five years, somewhere in there, kind of reluctantly. Served. In fact, I'll bring that up later in the episode. But um, so a couple of stories, just fun stories, right? So uh, we've, we've all been in ministry here. And so this is going to take us to a PG-13 rating, I think, the story. But um, every time you take students on a mission trip or on a summer camp or something, there's always a moment where everybody's in a circle, kumbaya, and people are you know, kind of confessing and crying and all that kind of thing because the spirit's moving and doing what they're supposed to do. And this was a moment where we were all sitting in a in a circle and some people were, you know, just kind of confessing and saying what the, the Lord was convicting them of. You know, I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to, you know, start this, that, and the other. And this dude raised his hand and I was like, all right, dude, go ahead, uh, tell us what's going on. And he said, I'm going to stop having sex with my girlfriend and it was like one of those like moments where I was like, uh, okay, next, who's next? But <laughs> in my mind, I was I, I I don't often you know pat myself on the back for filtering, 
Um, but in my mind, I was looking at this kid going, there's no chance you have a girlfriend, dude. You are just, <laughs> you are confessing something that is not a sin in your life just to make yourself look good at this moment. So we are moving on. But That's anyway, amazing. that is a hashtag youth ministry at its best. I, my second story. I mean, should you really say that when Josie is sitting right here? I mean, <laughs> and Josie was there, so he might remember that. Uh, I'm not sure. He was, uh, he was a youth at it. the time. So we no. can talk a bit later about who, who that was. But um, um Yes, yeah, so my second story is one of my one of my just I don't know scariest moments in ministry, and it was at the end of a mission trip. We were in Puerto Rico, and we were getting ready to fly back home because you can't drive home. So we were getting ready to fly back home, and um, so this is a five minute story. I'm going to make really really short, so I'm just going to fly through it. So it was the day we were going to fly back home. We were all in our caravanning in our minivans to get back to the airport, and there was massive traffic. And there was massive traffic on that day because there was a big uh, protest of the people in Puerto Rico wanting to be the 51st state and have sidebar, do it, man. I'd love to have Puerto Rico as state number 51. We get out another star, right? All right. So anyway, we had no idea that was going on, obviously. It's going to so, mess up a lot of tattoos if yeah. we do that. Sorry. <laughs> so we get, to, we get to the airport um, an hour before our flight with a group of 30 oh, kids and adults, group of 30 to get on this flight an hour before the flight. And so we still have to return our, our um, rental vans. And so we drop off everybody except for the drivers of those rental vans. And there's one chaperone. And I say, just get everybody in the line and get them checked in. We'll be back as soon as we can. We drive our rental vans back to the place because it's, um, it's off-site. And uh, we, we drop it off there. And by the way, one of the guys who takes the rental vans back into the back parking lot completely scrapes the van uh, going back. And I'm like, dude, I can't even, I can't even, like, just, just like on the pole going back. <laughs> we get in the shuttle, get back to the airport a half an hour before the flight, by the way. Our group has finally just got done checking in. They're heading to security. I run to the front of the line and just, you know, I'm like running past people. And we get all of our people checked in. We're standing in security line now. Um, one of our guys decides this is the time he wants to puke while we're standing oh, no. less than 30 minutes before he's puking. And it's one of these um, one of these trash cans that like at McDonald's that has the vertical little flap, right? So you can't actually puke directly <laughs> into the trash can. You no. actually have to stick your head into the trash can and then puke downward. That was fun. Uh, and while this is happening, one of the girls in the youth group comes up and says, hey, Mr. Tim, I can't find my boarding pass. Do I need that? This is like 20 minutes before the flight. We're standing. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I grab her. I said, everybody get on the plane. I grab her, and we're running back to the check-in. We're running, looking around, seeing if she dropped it somewhere. We get up to the check-in line, and they're like, I, we don't have it. I'm like, I, well, we don't have time to check in again. So we start running back, and literally a shopkeeper in the middle of all this says, hey, are you looking for a boarding pass? I'm like, Hallelujah. yeah. Gives us the boarding pass. Oh. We run back in line. We get through security. Um, and now it's about five minutes before the flight and uh, everybody else has already run to the gate and I've got me and this 15 year old girl who were really like, um, you know, just like you're grabbing our bags, running in. And as we're running to the gate, I realize she's not running next to me anymore. She stopped at one of the snack stands because she's hungry and thirsty. I'm like, girl, we don't have time for this. She gone. Yeah. And so I grabbed her literally by the arm, probably, you know, <laughs> forcefully. Uh, yeah, exactly. Grabbed her. And I was like, we got to go. And this was one of those moments where you see in the movies literally happened in my life in youth ministry, getting kids, you know, back to, to Baltimore. Um, as we were running, they were shutting the door. And oh. I was young. And figure this. It was me and a 15 year old girl. Everybody else is on the plane. They're shutting the door. I'm like, please, God, open that door up because I will not be able to explain to parents why me and a 15-year-old girl are stuck in Puerto Rico and the rest of the, the, uh, the, the, the group is gone. So anyway, all I can say is um, I, 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 I just I 
praise the Lord very, very, very loudly in that plane when I got everybody on. That's and amazing. Got back to Baltimore. That was a scary moment in ministry. I tell. You, all right. So, my story is going to pale in comparison. Uh, this isn't from uh, leadership. This is from actually being in youth ministry. When you was a youth. When I was a youth. I mean, but it also has to do with an, being in an uncomfortable situation uh, with uh, another girl. And that girl was my sister. And this is going to, this already doesn't sound great to start, but it was our second year. She's a, she's a year younger than me. And this was our second, or this, so this is my second year at Centrifuge. We went to a summer camp and we went up at Skycroft that year. We decided to keep it local for some dumb reason. And my sister, this was her first trip. Like this was her first year. And somehow there became this rumor that she could beat me up. Like, I don't understand. And so, like, everybody was coming around saying... That's not rumor. Tim <laughs> Tim started that. I'm pretty sure he did. And it was this whole thing of, of, of Chris was, like, acting all tough. And like, I can beat him up. I can beat him. And I'm like, this is so stupid. <laughs> this is so dumb. And, it like, and like for days, it, like, built up around, like, you know, she could beat you up. She could beat you up. Fight, and I'm fight, like... Fight. I'm sitting there. I'm going, I'm here at a Christian camp. I am, I am trying to grow close and focus on the girls here. Exactly. And, exactly. And so finally, like a few days in, I'm like, this is so stupid. And it became this thing that fine. I w- fine. We will wrestle after lunch. <laughs> I don't remember this, it but is, I know exactly where it's going. <sighs> no, I don't think you do know where it's going because what ended up happening after lunch, we're out on this area. And, and like some youth leader, Actually, I was I was trying to say no, this isn't going to happen, whatever. And some youth leader was like, "Yeah, let it happen." And that person probably shouldn't be in ministry anymore. <laughs> and so, was that Clarence? <laughs> uh, let it happen, guys. I think he can beat you. And so we ended up on this area, like this grassy knoll, and I'm like, and there's like everybody around, and they're like chanting, fight, and like so it was like a fun fight. It has, wasn't. Has like you a, ever fought your sister prior to that moment? Not like Kristen is tough. I know. I wouldn't have fought her. I didn't right, just but, tell us how bad you lost. I didn't lose. Oh, that was like, I'm sitting there going, I'm, like, and, it's, and it's not that like, sure, she has rage, but I'm just, I was just bigger. I'm like, I can, I can just, I've got the right of weight. And Are you I calling can, them the weaker sex, the right of you weight. Did. <laughs> and so I sat there and I beat her and like I pinned her to the ground. And like, as I'm saying these words right now, I realize this sounds ridiculous like this sounds so bad I th- this should not have happened I reluctantly got into it and I ended up beating her and I stood up and yet the rumor persisted she had beaten me and so now before it was just she would beat you oh no we're not gonna fight and then we fought I beat her and then everybody walked away and said she you let lost. you win I'm calling right now a rematch no Kristen 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 and rematch and no, no, and if this is, I'm probably wrong on this. High noon. But she had, like, <laughs> today. <laughs> she, you might remember this. She had a ring from my mom that got lost in that fight. Oh, and I, do remember I that. became the guy. And we were, like, looking through the grass. Exactly. And stuff, right? I That's do remember why. that. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm like, here's the thing you mess with the bull, you get the horns. And, uh, and so it's. It's terrible. You've it's never been terrible. manly in your life. Not even in a story Once, where you're beating Once, up a girl. And it was girl. when I beat my sister at a camp, and I think I still went home single. Like, I don't know. Oh, you, you think the girls were going to flock to you after that? Oh, look I, at him. He can manhandle he a woman. He can beat up. No, but apparently the story was I can't. So, I mean, like, <laughs> ladies, you were you would have been safe. Shout out to Kristen. She she worked right. with uh, Ends of the Air Cycling for two years and whooped my butt into shape, uh, took care of a lot of stuff for us. She's awesome. 
She's but a not physically, right? I wouldn't fight. <laughs> I wouldn't fight her. She's got like DoTerra oil strength, and yeah. so it's like it's weird, organic. Like a DoTerra oil, like takes you like from you know Bruce Banner to Incredible Hulk, right? As soon as you right. put it on, you're right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this is hashtag blessed. My embarrassing story uh, comes as the other side of the coin. I was a youth pastor and um, Tawny Town Baptist Church took a huge chance on a 21 year old who had no formal training. Thanks to Jeff for uh, getting me that job. Praise the Lord. That was awesome. Uh, so I'm, I'm working with students for a couple of years and we're taking them to concerts and events and festivals and things like that. And we had this kid in our youth group named GJ and GJ's younger brother, Josh, always wanted to come to everything. And uh, shout out to all the younger brothers out there who you had to wait. And so he's like finally old enough to come to the events. He's in sixth grade and Josh is there. And uh, we go up to Jersey for just like a concert festival thing. And the whole thing got rained out. I mean, it just poured the whole time. <laughs> and like five hours into this thing where like every band has had to like not take the stage. I think KJ52 got up there and like slipped or something. And <laughs> I was like, okay, we're going. Like we can't stay here and wait this out any longer. So I did what any good youth pastor would do. I looked at what movie is playing that is PG and it was Invincible by Mark Wahlberg. And so we drove, yeah, I mean, we drove the kids like 10 minutes away to this movie theater and I went up and bought 18 tickets and I started handing out all these tickets to each of the kids and every kid's in there and they've got their popcorn and soda and I'm the last one to enter the theater and I'm holding on to two tickets and I'm looking down and I'm like, surely someone passed me by without getting a ticket. We're good. So we sit down, we're watching Invincible. 30 minutes into the movie, my phone starts ringing and I hit ignore. <laughs> 40 minutes into the movie, uh, Josh Peterson's parents are calling the phone. Ignore. An hour into the movie, my pastor calls the phone and I'm like, I should probably go answer this. So I walk out of the theater and Pastor Gary Buckman goes, where's Josh Peterson? And I'm like, surely he's in the theater, like watching this movie with us. And he goes... He's back at the concert venue hiding in a porta pot oh. from the rain. And I was like, I'm going to get fired. Nice. Wow. Thank God his parents were amazing, grace filled people. Sure. And Josh kept coming back to youth events and his parents kept helping. And somehow they forgave me for one of my biggest blunders. That's amazing. It was the worst. Wow. I wanted to buy him a steak dinner. Yeah. That was like how I was going to make it up to him. But did I you do that? No, I still owe him. <laughs> <laughs> you still owe his parents too. And he's probably what twenty five years old now. Yeah. He's listening in. He's right. like, Josh I'm Peterson. I'm gonna get that hand again. <laughs> he got a steak <laughs> coming to you. That poor, that porta pot experience. <laughs> he's like Steve Buscemi on that uh, Adam Sandler movie where he's got your name on a list on a wall. <laughs> he's Glad in the porta pot. I called that guy. <laughs> listening to KJ from the stage. <laughs> did he just slip, Justin? Did he just slip? Justin, oh, I mean, twelve years old. Where are those guys? So, so I'm trying to do the math. If if you took him to a movie, how long was this kid in a porta potty? I, I had him at least an hour and fifteen minutes. Oh. I mean, he made the right choice. He hid in the safest, driest place there. Yeah, it was just a giant field. And there was nowhere that, to hide. And that being in that porta potty was probably a better experience than the Mark Wahlberg movie, anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, really, his parents and, were like, "We just want to thank you so yes. much for." The opportunity. Well, Hannikin, we appreciate that you are, are here, and uh, we do want to honor your time and make sure we actually talk about something beneficial. Uh, and so we want to kind of transition into discussing what it looks like to disciple the next generation. 
Um, because, you know, we, we've heard it said Ronald Reagan once said that freedom is just one generation away from extinction. And people have taken that and have also applied it to Christianity and said, you know, the church is just one generation away from extinction. And so we have to be for the gospel to advance and for it to continue, you know, past us. We have to pass on our faith and disciple those who are under us. And so as, as this podcast sort of exists to acknowledge some of the, the spots in, in areas in ministry where we have dropped the ball, some things that we haven't done well, we want to kind of take some time and unpack that, talk about what, what it looks like um, to disciple the next generation. And you have uh, a lot of wisdom and insight into that. And so we just appreciate your time and we want to kind of get into the discussion today on how we as a church can impact the next generation with our faith. Absolutely. And so as we kind of open this thing up, the first question, because this was, this was funny yesterday per our conversation, I just happened to stumble across this video. Somehow I'm in a youth minister's Facebook group. Somebody added me. I'm not a youth pastor, uh, but people have called me the youth pastor because I look so youthful. That's a joke. Uh, but they, they had a video where this guy was basically saying youth pastors shouldn't exist. It's not a biblical position. And they used like one clip of a guy who said he punched a kid in the chest and Ooh. said, so therefore youth pastors shouldn't exist. But in your understanding is an actual ministry of the church is youth ministry is next generation ministry biblical. And I would ask the question, when you look at the gospels, when you look at the ministry of Jesus, what age were the disciples, right? Like, I think we see these pictures that were painted maybe during the Renaissance time. And we, we think like, oh, they're all old guys. Like Jesus called 40 year olds and this and that. And so one time I was listening to Greg Steer from Dare to Share talk about this very topic. Mm -hmm. And he took us to a, a, an interesting text in Matthew 17, where Jesus is traveling with the 12 and they're in Capernaum. And those who receive the temple tax come up to Peter and they say to Peter, does your, t does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And um, if you're familiar with the story, um, he brings the concern to Jesus. And Jesus says, um, you know, basically to, to Simon, go do some creative fishing. And in Matthew 17, 27, um, Jesus says, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. And so you have this interesting creative fishing moment where uh, Jesus is going to pay the temple tax for him and for Peter. And it's like, in that moment, the other 10 disciples, they don't have to pay the temple tax. Like, why? Like, why is Jesus only taking care of his payment and Peter's payment, but not the other 10? And then you find this other scripture in the book of Exodus that says you only had to pay the temple tax if you were 20 years old and older. Hmm. Interesting, fine. What if those 10, and I'm, I'm not saying that they absolutely sure. were, sure. but what if they were under the age of 20? Mm. Like we see Jesus, um, you know, you know, being birthed of a virgin, Mary, who scholars believe was between 12 and 14. We see young people being used all through the Old Testament. We see, we, we see young people being called to ministry later, but they have to start somewhere. And so I'm wondering how old the disciples were and if Jesus didn't have the first youth group. I mean, you ask anybody in, in youth ministry world and, and scholars that, that study 
these matters. And I, I don't hear people saying, no, that's bad theology. No, that doesn't jive with us. Like sure. I've never heard somebody argue the opposite of that point that, that possibly Jesus's heartbeat was to start a revolution with teenagers, with young people. And so that's where I, for the last 20 years, have believed in youth ministry, champion youth ministry, wanted to see um, youth ministry become a, a viable part of the church. And I think everybody who's passionate about their ministry thinks that their ministry is the most important, right? Like he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some pastors, teachers, evangelists. Like I've never met an evangelist who doesn't think that evangelism is the most important thing. Sure. I've never met somebody passionate about sports ministry who doesn't say, man, we should all be doing sports ministry or men's or women's or whatever. Or cycling. <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't me saying youth ministry is the most important ministry in the church, but I'm saying, I think Jesus capitalized on youth, yeah. sure. young people. That's, that's brilliant. And so, but then the follow-up to that is, all right. So criticism would be that if we're just focusing on children or youth, or we're kind of segregating out the different ages is that potentially a detriment to the church by saying, Hey, we're going to put the youth over here. We're going to, and I know you've heard this language before, but we're not going to include them in big church that we're going to put the children over here, that we're going to have a time where we can't have the kids in worship. We can't have the youth. We're going to have them over here in their own little group. Is there a point where that could become detrimental to the, to them as, as Christians, but then also to the church at large? I really struggle with it because you notice in um, the book of Ezra, when Ezra stands up to read the law, all the people are there together and it says, and they had their little ones with them. Right. And so for us, we, we keep our kids in service at our church uh, in, in Fort Myers, Florida until a certain point when pastor gets up to preach, then they separate out and they have an age specific mm -hmm. lesson. Um, and I think if you're going to separate children and you're going to separate youth out specifically, you better have youth leading in those areas. So let's say you have all your elementary school age kids in a, in a different part of the service, but if they're being led by young people, then young people are being raised up to continue to serve. Mm. And our church, our whole tech team, all of our audio video are, are, are all teenagers. Our, our whole tech booth is teenagers. Uh, we have a 12 year old on our worship team, 15 year old on our worship team. We, we have young people involved in the aspects of the service. And I think like when you can do that, you have in my opinion, a healthy church where 18 to 24 year olds are not like falling out of the window. Mm -hmm. Like where's my place in this whole thing? Be because they, they were always just kind of coddled or not allowed to serve. And so to me, I, I think that next generation needs a position of leadership at an early age, yeah. somewhere in the church. Yeah. And it's, and it's not cookie cutter. Like, yeah. you know, they, 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 we have young people that have helped take the offering before. And, and we might say, wow, that's, that's really not a big deal. But to them, it is. Sure. You know. Yeah. I, 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 to your point, man, that's a good word. Um, it, I, I mean, Jeff and I, we grew up in the church and we grew up going to big church, if you will. So there was a, there was always a kids ministry, always a youth ministry, but there was never as much of a segregation as we see now uh, of the generations. And so you, you've got the youth who are in the, you know, just doing youth stuff. And then you've got the rest of the church, the big church doing the big church stuff. And too often there's not the overlap there that you're talking about. And that's a beautiful picture from your church down in Florida. Um, but then we, then when they turn 18, we ask them to stay in. And so now, now they're completely changing a church culture going from the youth ministry, which is like, you know, bumping and awesome and all this kind of stuff to, you know, more serious um, you know, uh, adult driven worship. And we're asking them to make this jump. And then we wonder why they, why they walk away. 
because I mean, in there's a very real possibility of the saying, well, that's not the church that I know. That's not my language of church. And we're saying, well, why are you going somewhere else? And now they're trying to, you know, they're 18, 20, 21. They're trying to find another youth group style church. And that's why there's a lot of churches springing up that are doing pretty well in terms of numbers that are just like youth group church for adults. They're not deep. They're not, you know, they're, they're just kind of like, it's a big celebration for adults. And the, then, it, you know, I, I don't want to name some of those churches, but that we've got a diverge even in in church life of you know just a bunch of 20-somethings who are s- still in youth group mode and then you got a bunch of churches over here who are like trying to get real serious with doctrine and theology and all that kind of stuff um but we've we've asked kids if you will turning to adults to make a jump that they're not prepared to because we never we, we never included them in the first place and that's what i've noticed so you guys have both served as youth pastors I'm currently serving as a college pastor, mm. and that's been the the biggest, I guess, discouragement is seeing them graduate out of the youth group. And it's not the youth group's fault. Sure. It's it's the church as a whole who have not discipled them well and brought them into the life of the church so that when they become 18, it, it is this weird thing where now I have to take responsibility for my faith, where mm. before I was told, this is where you go, this is what you read, yeah. this is who you hang out with. And then all of a sudden they are kind of out of mom and dad's house. They are out from under this, this ministry that uh, is, is kind of programming everything. And now we have to have conversations about what does it mean to live out your faith? And, and, and they have just so many are struggling in that sure. area because they haven't been integrated into the life of the church. Like they still want to hang out mm-hmm. with the 18 to 25s and that's fun. And we enjoy that and we learn, but then for a long time, it was getting them to cross the street, cross back over into big church and serve. And when the church only has a handful of just, I hate to use the word throwaway, not throwaway ministries, but when we just tell them you can only serve in these entry level positions, then what happens is they're going, you don't really value my growth. You value what I can do for the church and, and, and be a warm body to fill that space. Mm. And so we have to figure out a way to get them integrated into the life of the church, not just through service, but, but through leadership as well, as you were talking about. Well, and, and in my opinion, young people are making some of life's most important decisions. Mm-hmm. So as a teenager, uh, and, and I'm sitting here looking at Josiah, who we're speaking about Josie. I mean, we're right. talking about someone who lived this whole thing. Like he came up through the youth group and didn't fall out the back window of the church, didn't walk away, right. didn't go find a cool hip expression of young and free or whatever. Like he was just like, I'm going to stick this thing out and and live in my gifting and serve. And I, I'm just, I'm thinking out loud here, but like when you look at the New Testament, you constantly see this encouragement for the old to pass on to the young, for the old men to teach the young men, for the old women to teach the young women. But if you never create space for that to happen and young people are formulating their thoughts and opinions about theology and about the world and about gender and about war and about all these different things, but you never actually create any space for them to be around people older than them, Mm. people wiser than them, like then you, you totally miss the opportunity. Or, or allow them to struggle with the ideas as opposed to, let's just tell you what you're supposed to believe. We're basically giving young people our faith, which is what we should do, but we should allow them to, to struggle through it and, and take mm-hmm. ownership of it as well. Um, we're just you know force feeding and on the general. And then once they hit 18, now they're going out to live their own, you know, now, now they're searching, right? We should allow them to search and struggle at a younger age as opposed to waiting until 18. Absolutely. And so we've kind of hit on this, on the value of youth ministry. Um, is there anything more you want to say to that in terms of how focused ministry just 
to those to the upcoming generation gives value to the church? Um, I just I just want to say there are churches that do it well and there's churches that don't. Mm-hmm. And I, f- I feel like faith is a church that does it well and, and there's still room to grow everywhere. But I just want to affirm what I've seen here at this local body um, and thank God for the theology that you guys are operating with with respect to youth ministry. Yeah, we're pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, no, but but let's 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 jump off on that. So the church, the church, Big C, has not always done a great job engaging the upcoming generation. We've we've not done a great job discipling them. We see that in the numbers of people who are walking away from the church for various reasons. Uh, in what ways do you think that the church has missed the mark in discipling the next generation? I think one of the ways that the church has missed the mark is to look at um, the next generation, to look at teenagers. And say, okay, you the, you are the future of the church. Okay, that is incredibly flawed. Like we've been trying to say for the last nine years, in, in working with organizations like Youth Hope and Dale Puckett, and and he would he would attest to this. Young people are the church today. Right. They're not the church of the future. So to tell them, oh, you're the church of the future. That's I think that's our first mistake. Our second mistake is when they're trying to find their own self expression. And they're dyeing their hair like all these bright colors and getting tattoos and different things. And, no and yeah, <laughs> it was four years in my thirties. Oh, okay. it was so bad. <laughs> and and so and so, I think we we look at them as altogether other, and we say, you know what, you you need to look a certain way. You need to change. You know, you, you know, you can't wear your hat backwards. I mean, just like this whole idea that young people have to look a certain way to come into the body. Mm. It's 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 so incredibly flawed. And I remember like even in our, our last two years at Tawnytown, having parents come to me and saying, we don't want those kids in our youth group, Skaters. those kids in our church. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, Jesus does. Like, I want those kids. That's who we've been going after all these years. The ministry is bearing fruit. These kids are coming to Jesus. They want to be baptized. But you're looking at them and you're like, I, not, I, don't, want that, I don't want that kid around my kid. Or I don't want that pregnant high school girl coming. Or, man, that, I heard that kid got high last week. How mm-hmm. dare he come to our church? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, where else is he going to hear the gospel? Because if you're concerned with that, like you're not going to go find him on the streets. You know, mm-hmm. we're bringing him in, mm-hmm. like Tim said, from the skate parks. Like our our most successful ministry in eight years at Tawnytown was at skate parks with mm-hmm. skaters. Those kids were more excited when we opened up the Bible on a ramp than our kids in our Sunday school classes. They were more respectful of God's word. We would take them to serve the homeless. We're like, yeah, you can skate all day, but you're serving the, you're serving the poor today. And, th- and those kids were like, yes, we want to, you know? And so I just feel like a- as a church, capital C church, I'm, ju- I'm not speaking about one church in particular. I'm just saying it's so cliche, but like, don't judge a book by its cover. Like, don't look at a young person and say, um, man, you're too messy. Mm-hmm. you know, for Jesus to clean you. Are you kidding me? You know, like, look at some of these guys he cleaned. Peter, James, John, you know, like, look look at Matthew, you know, former tax collector. Like, Jesus is like, I want those guys on my team. <laughs> so what if our youth ministries took that same stance? There was a, a, a beautiful, I believe it was Matt Chandler. I remember watching a, a clip from one of his sermons to that point. And um, he, he was remembering a conference that he was at, it was a youth conference in which the speaker had a rose. Uh, you guys may have heard this clip or seen it, um, where the, the speaker at this youth conference had a rose, and he just while he was preaching, he had it just it was just pass it around, look at it, you know, just the the whole auditorium. And then uh, at the end of the message, you know, they handed the rose back up, and it was crumpled. It was you know, it's just it was dirty, nasty. It was terrible. And the speaker's whole point was 
all right, now who wants this being passed around and all this dirty and all this kind of stuff. And that was that like that was his point at the youth conference. And Chandler, you know, was recounting this. And he just I mean, he got so fired up recounting the story and saying, Jesus wants the rose. Isn't that the whole mm. point of the gospel? Like Jesus wants the rose. He wants all of us who are crumpled up and dirtied by the world, and he wants to make us something new and different. And um, too often we overlook the dirty, crumpled up, you know, roses in our community, and we're like, ah, you know, let's go for the good-looking kids. Um, anyway, that's just when when you're talking about that, it reminded me of that story. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think on on one hand we have tended to be judgmental. Um, in fact, in the last couple episodes that we've we've talked about um, legalism, we've talked about hypocrisy, and I think one of the the things that we have done that we're kind of seeing now that that Josie and I are working together in the in the college group, um, we're seeing, I guess, one thing the church isn't doing very well. The older generation is how we are living out our faith in the midst of chaos, and when we see things happening, when when we as adults see things happening in our world, and we respond in ways that Jesus would not respond, then there is this weird thing where the generation under us are watching us, going, "I don't see." what you say you believe and and how you are living align. And then if that's the case, if that's what you've committed yourself to, I don't want that. I don't want a, a, to, to be someone who professes one thing and lives differently. I mean, one of the things I love about this upcoming generation, the next gen, my kids, Josie, everybody pretty much younger than us is this sense of um, honesty, authenticity that says, here's who I am and let's deal with that. And we don't see that a lot in big church. We don't see a lot of, of people living out their faith in a way that is attractive, in a way that says, and it's not just in the way that they live out their faith, but even in marriages, we see marriages in the church falling apart at the same rate as what we see in society. And if we're living in that, that same vein, what does it say to those who are under us watching going, do I really want to be a part of that? Not really. And so I think there is part of, of where the church, not just the organization, but the people who have made it up, who have not made Jesus look that attractive in the way that we live. And, and so I think that's something that we have to align as well. Is there anything else that you can say, here's where the church has dropped the ball that we, you know, areas that we can identify so that we can begin to work on them? I just want to say that the methods can change, but the mission cannot. So Jesus gave us the mission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And our, our mission is to go therefore into all the nations and make disciples baptized to teach what he's commanded. And he'll be with us always. That is the mission of every single church. That is the mission of every parachurch organization. And we can sit around all we want and talk about like, what is our mission? And no, the mission for the capital C church has never changed, but the methods change. Constantly. Mm-hmm. Constant change has to happen. And so for us, it looks like cycling long distances and g- going to schools along the way and stopping and talking. Um, we've used dance as a, as a form of ministry. Uh, we've, we've used skateboarding. There, there, there's any, anything that is not sinful can be used for ministry. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we're, if we're not willing to adapt and we say, well, we're just going to do it the way we've always done it. Um, teenagers, man, they can see right through that. Honestly, young people um, can can spot uh, bullcrap from a mile away. And so that authenticity you're talking about, Jeff, I think comes um, from meeting them where they are mm-hmm. um, and, and finding out what their interests are and, and then being present uh, as Jesus would in, in that moment. So 
let's take that and let, let's flip it to the good. So what have you learned um, in order to effectively to disciple in a biblical way this next generation? What do we need to do? I believe we need to involve parents. I believe we need to equip parents. I believe that parents are to be the principal disciplers of their own children. And I did so many years of youth ministry without that framework. I was just running an entertainment business, sprinkling Jesus on it, paying my friends to come and be the chaperones because we didn't have youth leaders. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff and Justin Dietz. Uh, Drop them off. We'll take care of it from here. Basically. I'm telling you. And like, I, I either saw parents inherently as the enemy or, well, they just don't care. They wouldn't want to be involved. And, and that's just totally flawed. Mm. Like, and, and I've really come to, to wake up to, to the reality that parents are the principal disciplers of their own children, that they will, will stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ someday and, and not be able to say, well, it was the youth pastor's responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, the children, children's pastor must have failed my child. And it's like, now that I have five children that are preteens, I'm increasingly aware that the amount of time that I have to disciple them is short. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's probably one of the most important tasks that Jesus has given me right now is to be a present father, yeah. to not put them on the altar of ministry, to uh, spend my life like getting to know each of my kids and their theology and like having those hard conversations um, that quite frankly, my parents didn't have with me. Sure. My, mm-hmm. my, my parents didn't raise me in the faith. They didn't. They, they just took me to, my mom just dragged me to church on Sundays and I hated it, you mm-hmm. know, but like now I'm like, I want to change the tide with this next generation and I want to help parents win. Parents are not the enemy. Like, believe it or not, like they're struggling to hang on. And so to come alongside of them and say, not let me take your child out from under your care, but like, let me help care for your child alongside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you win. And w- just last Saturday, um, we Jeff and I, uh, a long time ago, started discipling this young man named Chris. And he we, we just baptized him on Saturday. And he's a grown adult now. But as a teen, he trusted Christ. Um, his, his parents uh, were Catholic. And so he really was like, I want to honor my parents. They already baptized me as a baby. I don't think I should be rebaptized. Now as an adult, he goes to his own church. He owns his own faith. And he says, next time you come to Maryland, I want to be baptized. I want, I want to make my faith public. And his parents were there and they were overjoyed mm-hmm. and they were celebrating with their son, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we got to see the fruit. But man, Tim, it was 10 years later. Sure. Like it took 10 years to, to 15 years to see the fruit. Unbelievable. I mean, just how, how God worked in that situation. So I, I just want to say, let's involve parents. Yeah. Let, let's, let's be for parents as a church and, and let's be for the family. So you mentioned how little time you have now with your kids looking forward. I mean, the t- clock is ticking. Um, and I, I don't know that enough. I, th- I think parents understand that for sure. Um, but they just don't know how to take advantage of that time. And quite honestly, the the way that too many models are, like you're saying, is, I mean, the parent has a ton of time. And what I'm doing right now for the listeners is I got my arms spread wide, but the youth pastor in comparison to the fam, to the parents has a small amount of time. Yet we, we, we outsource to the youth pastor and say, Hey, you do yours. Uh, one, one thought is, um, I mean, so many right now parents, um, it is, it is possible. I mean, for, for many people of, of uh, our peers, we've seen it possible for the spirit to overcome 
uh, bad parenting and still be able to grip the heart of a child. Amen. Um, but at the same time, on the flip side, uh, it makes it really hard for a lot of people to see through the thicket because their parents are, you know, just they're, they're not being an example, an example to their kids. Uh, I don't know where the quote originated, but I love it and I use it quite often. Um, someone said that half-hearted obedience in this generation leads to full-out rebellion in the next. And so, you know, the parents are like, you know, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make a point to show that I'm a Christian and I'll kind of go through the motions. And kids are smart enough, man. They see through all of that. And so they get to the point where they're 18 and like this, you know, my, my parents confessed one thing, but they didn't really show it. They took mm-hmm. me to church and they, they, I saw, you know, kids see who the Sunday, Sunday uh, people are and then the rest of the week thing is, and they can tell when it's a show and they want nothing to do with the show. And so if the parent has to either be 100 or zero, I mean, quite honestly, the 50, the 50, 50 kids see right through it. And it, it's basically 50, 50 is a zero in the eyes of the kids is what I've noticed. Yeah. And, and I so appreciate uh, your, your intake on this, Tim, because when you mentioned about, about the amount of time, just like, like follow me on this. If, if you're a youth pastor and you're listening right now, you're saying, how do I disciple kids that I only get for like an hour a week, maybe an hour and a half. Right. Mm-hmm. But then you have the understanding that like, if you get a chance to do like a centrifuge, like Jeff was mentioning, you get those kids for 168 hours. You're like, I got them for a full seven days. Like I can really pour into them. Of course you can, like you see a difference, but listen to the number of hours parents get with their kids in one year's time, 8,760 hours mm. in, a, in a year's time, you know? And so I, I just I just appreciate what you're putting forth, Tim, Jeff, what you're saying. I mean, what what do you think about this? Yeah, so what's interesting is the other day on Twitter, I saw this thing, and I don't know if it was scientific or not, but it felt scientific, and these days that's all that matters. But there was a, a guy who tweeted out and basically said, in the next year or two, the rate of pastoral resignations is going to be exponential. It's going to skyrocket. And the reason, um, and I'm, I'll bring this back around to our, our conversation, is that Right now, most Christians are being discipled by the media, that they are immersing themselves in, in constant bickering and anger and just frustration that when the pastors get them for 30 minutes on a Sunday or an hour, if you're going to be generous, if the music's really, really good or the pastor preaches super long, you know, that, that can't counteract what they're filling their minds with. And in the same way, if we have parents that are, shirking their responsibilities and say, Hey, youth pastor, I need you to take my kid for one hour, but then beyond that, or maybe two hours if we're super committed, but we're going to live differently. We're going to fill their heads or allow their heads to be filled. We're not going to monitor what they're doing at home. We're not going to intentionally disciple and get to know them. Um, the work of the church in terms of discipling the next generation is it's not going to work. And I've seen so many, I love the the term you use about the altar of ministry. I know we've all seen pastors who have sacrificed their families at the altar of ministry. And and one day you are no longer going to work at that church. One day that flock is not going to be yours. You have one flock for all time. Mm. And then your responsibility is to pastor and shepherd that flock. When I, I believe when I go to heaven, the first thing God's not going to, God's not going to ask me, well, how did you lead faith or how did you lead the other faith, you know, how, how did you lead these the, things? It's going to be, what did you do with this unit that I gave you with this family, this, and I'm going to be responsible for that. And so my first ministry, now that doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the church ministry, but we, we invest first in our families and that we are responsible 
for that. And so I'm, I'm super grateful that you brought that up because that's actually going to be where we're going to continue our conversation next week, um, dealing more with the practical aspects of how we can parent and how we can shepherd the next generation. Um, practically, we're going to meet with our, we're going to have another guest in because at this point, Tim and I need all the help we can get. But we're going to have our youth pastor, Dave Kurtz in for that. But one last question for you. So if someone's listening and they go, Oh, I, I hear what you're saying. That's great. The church needs to do that. I don't have any kids. What is the role? What can Christians who don't have kids at home, um, whether they don't have kids themselves or the empty nesters, how can older people invest in the lives of the next generation? Yeah, I'll answer that question, Jeff, by telling two stories of older people that I've seen do this. So the first one is a lady named Miss Brenda. And Miss Brenda uh, came to me back in the Tawny Town days and, and said, hey, I want to help out with the youth group. You know, I'll do snacks. I'll do this. I'm like, sure, we'll have you help out. You know, Miss Brenda was not cool. She was not hip. Uh, she didn't speak the language of the kids, um, but she she was present. She was there every single week. And she would give hugs to kids that like needed a hug. She would give high fives as they came through the door. And one time Miss Brenda came to me and she said, Justin, I just want to know every single kid's birthday mm -hmm. and I want to send them a birthday card. And I'm just going to write a handwritten note on behalf of the youth group and put a stick of gum in there. And I was like, yeah, Miss Brenda, whatever, like do your thing. <laughs> you know, that sounds like something I would never think of or care about. And that made all the difference in the world. We had kids. Um, that, that were coming to our youth group, stopped coming, got that birthday card and came back. And they would come up to me like, Pastor Justin, thank you for sending me a birthday card. And I would look right <laughs> at Miss Brenda and I would say, I didn't, it was Miss Brenda, yeah. you know? And, and like she kept 80 to a hundred kids on her roster, knew their birthday, send them a birthday card. And I, and I literally, Tim, I'm not kidding. I had students come up and say, no one remembered my birthday mm. except the youth group. Mm. And I'm like, dude, that's, insane and mm -hmm. so maybe somebody listening is like a miss brenda and you have a creative way to to keep students engaged uh the second lady i want to talk about is miss judy miss judy is in her 80s and she's one of our youth leaders at mm -hmm. our church and she heard from the lord that she was supposed to work with middle school girls and so miss mm -hmm. judy comes in um sets up the snacks again there's something about old ladies and snacks um <laughs> eat whatever they make it's always good and uh <laughs> but miss judy will just be very quiet she'll be very present in the room but then after i give the lesson or one of our youth leaders gives the lesson we'll break into small groups and miss judy will go with the 11 12 13 year old girls and she, she has so much wisdom oozing from her and yet she lets them lead she lets them disciple and encourage one another and and puts like my girls in positions of leadership sees an error that she can speak into in their theology or in their missiology or whatever she speaks into it mm. just very lovingly very calmly and like if i was to go up to anybody and say do you think miss judy would make a great youth leader no, are you kidding me? Do you think Miss Brenda would make a great youth leader? No, are you kidding me? And yet Jesus uses them in ways that he cannot use me. It, it, they are uh, the hand when I'm the eyes or they are you know, the nose when I'm the mouth. Every single person uh, is valuable. Every single member of the body is needed. And these two ladies in particular, I believe, uh, found a way to, to, to serve in the body. That's great, man. It's amazing. So if you're listening and you say, that's not my responsibility, Justin Hannigan basically is telling you, um, you're a horrible person. Did, did I summarize that well? 
get involved. Get involved. No, there's a, there's a room for everybody and there's a call on everybody to be a part of discipling the next generation. And God has equipped you. God has equipped the listeners, everybody in, in unique ways for his kingdom. And we want to honor that. And so, um, what we're going to do now is we're going to get into the part of the conversation that, that Tim and I really don't like. Uh, this is the time where it's very easy for us to come and kind of dump on the church and, and, and point fingers and say, here's where you guys have failed. And we're here to tell you how to fix it. Any wisdom we have on that is because of the mistakes that we have made in these areas. Mm. And so at the end of each episode, we like to come, we don't like to, but we come together and we will kind of share things and confess a time of confession to say, here is where we have dropped the ball in this area so that we understand we are owning our own mess and, uh, and working to get better at that. So, um, since you're our guest, we like to put you on the spot first and have you, uh, share your big mistakes. My, I mean, since we, just so you know, we confess our very dirtiest sins right mm, here. We already we're having, well, he already confessed in the, you know, the, the hashtag blessed portion. Yeah. You know, the, the funny story. He already he told us kid. how terrible of a youth pastor he was. Cause he took him to a Mark Wahlberg movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right, Invincible. <laughs> My confession is the the idea that um, entertainment based youth ministry is the way to go, and so mm. I would do anything that was cool um, and sprinkle some Jesus on it, and that uh, was my methodology. I was uh, the coolest youth pastor in town. We were taking kids to all night laser tag and uh, skating and dodgeball and paintball and all the things giving a gospel message. Um, but it was always uh, come and hear my youth pastor tell you about Jesus. Mm. A shift happened halfway through our youth ministry at Tawny town where we met Greg steer and we learned about dare to share. And we did this thing called the gospel journey. And over the course of eight weeks, we taught our students how to share the gospel themselves. And I'm not making this up. Our youth group doubled in size. Wow. Mm. Not only did our youth group double in size, but a lot of those kids that came and heard the gospel are now serving as full-time missionaries. They're now youth pastors themselves. And I look back at that and say, um, what the heck was I thinking? You know. And so I, I really just have to confess and, and have repented to the Lord for um, going after popularity and pride and doing this weird Western version of youth ministry that just looks nothing like the scriptures. Hmm. I would say, man, that's, that's even a sickness in the, the general church, sure. big church, if you will. Um, you know, I, I, in, in pulpit ministry now, uh, there's moments that I'm constantly frustrated at the lack of ministry from the people in the pew. I am one man and most of my ministry is from the pulpit for, you know, the, the, the most of it. Uh, except for when I'm out in the community, but when I'm out in the community, I'm one man as opposed to the hundreds that we send out from the church every single Sunday. And to get people past the shift of uh, just come and hear my pastor preach, like come to church on Sunday, like I'll welcome that because I'm going to be there anyway and you're going to be there anyway. So yeah, sure, bring some friends. But to get people past that hump, even adults, man, like you are a minister, you are a missionary, go and do, um, go and be light and salt in your community and go and have the gospel conversations that you're supposed to have. There's, 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 there's the struggle for me of, you know, of, of acceptance. Like, you know, I, I sometimes struggle, well, you're not going to do it anyway. 
So sure, just invite your friends and I'll, and I'll preach, preach Jesus to them. Um, and so uh, even when we try, even when we try to get the church and motivated to go out and do, I mean, we went through the, who's your one campaign, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, I had everybody identify one person in their life that they could pray for and that they could reach out to and have a gospel conversation. I have no idea of the hundreds of people who are a part of that, whether people actually did that or not. And so there's a frustration, youth ministry or in church ministry, um, when that doesn't happen. And I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord, the spirit got a hold of your kids and made that possible. Um, that doesn't happen everywhere. Uh, it's just the long and short of it doesn't happen everywhere. So that's awesome that it happened with you guys. Man. Yeah. All right. So here's my confession. And this is, this is awkward for me because I actually need to uh, confess and apologize to one of the people in this room. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh, this is a very, uh, recent thing that has happened. So a few nights ago, Josie and I were texting together and one of the things that has kind of, uh, been, been going on in our culture is that there's a lot of engagement on social media uh, and not all of it is great. In fact, most of it is not great. Garbage. Garbage. And I have participated in uh, those conversations. Um, Now, these days I'm trying to be a whole lot better in terms of being grace-filled and being loving, understanding that the people that I'm debating with uh, are made in the image of God and that they're still to be uh, love. And Josie has done a really good job with this. Like he has uh, spoken truth in love to people who are older than him. And I was, I was super proud of him. And I was commenting on that a few days ago. And he uh, wrote me and kind of indicated that there was something that had happened with our own church leadership that had, I guess, told him to, to refrain from posting on certain things. And I went, man, whoever did that is a big old jerk. And as I caught those words coming out of my mouth, I went, I bet you it was me. It is you. It is me. Mm. And, uh, and so I said, Josie, you are the man. Yeah. I mean, he Nathaned me all kind of (laughs) And, and I said, Hey man, uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but if I had anything to do with it, I'm sorry. Mm. And his response was, was pure Josie. You were apology accepted. Um, but basically what had happened was he had posted something on Facebook that he acknowledged was, um, was a little contentious. And yet I, I took it upon myself to go, Hey bro, I don't, I don't remember what I said. Um, cause I say a lot of things, but I, I don't remember how I said it or what I said, but basically it was of the mindset of man, you probably don't need to be posting that on Facebook, yeah. but these days there are a lot of people in our church who are posting things on pay- Facebook who they should not be posting on Facebook. There's a lot of Christians looking to pick fights, man. And just, I and I just, have been pretty silent on it. And he called me out on it in a loving and kind way. And so I felt like Josie, I needed, you know, even though I made it right via text, I wanted to make sure that that we had a that I had a time where I came to you and said I was wrong to do that. And uh, and so I appreciate you uh, your grace in that area. Let me confess, man, and I'm confessing for myself and for the church. There is, uh, for a long time, there is a sickness within especially the Baptist world, which we are a part of. Um, There's a sickness within the church that treats youth ministry or youth pastoring, the man that is in that role, um, if it's a man, as a stepping stone to lead pastoring. Um, you, you get out of um, get out of seminary, and you're going to be an established church or something somewhere. You you go into you you cut your teeth basically as a youth pastor, and you do that for a few years, and then you go find your own church and become a real pastor. Um, I actually had people in this church when I was a youth pastor ask me, "When are you going to become a real, real pastor?" pastor. Yeah. And I would say, 
get behind me, Satan. Uh, no, but I, I need to confess because I was a part of that machine. Um, I was the guy who was in youth ministry who was clearly not called for youth ministry. Uh, and I, I did not like youth ministry. I loved the kids. Uh, I learned to love them individually, but I was, I just hated this, the style. And I, you know, I, I hated the, the, you know, the whole entertainment bit. I'm like, man, when can I teach doctrine? When can I teach theology? And I didn't think that that was possible in a youth ministry setting. And, um, I, you know, I was, I was a part of that machine. And so I would say, uh, I'm, I'm, even though I was kind of forced into it, it wasn't for, well, I was never forced into anything. It was like, Hey Tim, we have a need. Uh, do you want to be in full-time ministry? Like, yeah, absolutely. That's my calling. Great. Be in youth ministry. Uh, okay. And I spent all my time, um, you know, trying to love on the kids, but also like looking around, like, can I go hang out with the adults now? Like, this is not my, not my bag. And so the confession for me that I was part of that machine, but also confession for the church, man, um, just the church, big C needs to start putting men and women who are called, literally called to the ministry, put them there. And the men and women who are there need to invest and stay. Yeah. Like, what are the statistics, Justin? You may know it better than me. Like, the average youth pastor stays in a position for oh, it's under three years. Under three years, man. Like, you're in and out. Months, and yeah. so, like, where's the long term um, investment in kids? You know, from the time, you know, from for six years, these kids are in. And we're rotating youth ministers in and out like, you know, like they're a pitcher on a baseball team or something. Like, ah, thank you. We've used your arm now. Get out. But most of the time, it's not because we've used them up and spit them out. It's because their heart was never in it anyway. Like, I'm here biding my time, cutting my teeth until a better job comes along or until I can finally become a real pastor now. And um, anyway, I, I'm ashamed to have been a part of that machine for sure. And uh, I, I wish the church would cut it out. Yeah, I think to any youth pastors that are still listening at this time in the podcast, I just want to say to you, you are a real pastor. You yeah. are found in that list on Ephesians 4 and verse 11 that says that Jesus himself chose you to yeah. pastor. And it very well could be that you are pastoring some of the most important people in our churches right now mm -hmm. that will lead in this and the next generation. And I would say just on top of that, like to combine yours, your, your thought of entertainment based and mine. Uh, you are, anybody who's listening, you are a real pastor. So let me just with conviction say, start acting like it. Mm -hmm. So start pastoring those kids instead of just babysitting. Yeah. Uh, Tim, flip that around. Take us into our last segment, Great Christian People. Let's end this on a high note. Yeah, man. I, so it, to the exact opposite of what I just said, let me honor the, the men and women who are absolutely called youth ministry and are doing it well. Like I, we had here, uh, you know, a friend of ours, Dale Puckett, who is now with uh, Youth Hope uh, Ministry with New International. And when I, when I think um, youth ministry and guys who were called to it and the guys who showed an absolute love for the ministry and for the kids, I think of a guy named Dale Puckett, who we all know and love. And uh, I just want to honor those men and women who are absolutely called to it. And that's they're not looking to the next gig. They're not looking to become a lead pastor somewhere. They're in it, and they're in it for the long haul. And uh, so, yeah, let me give it up for Dale Puckett and the other Dale Puckets of the world. Yeah, and let me uh, let me tag on to that. Um, having worked very closely with Dale Puckett, uh, Krista Puckett was the one who did all the work. Yeah. Uh, so the the wives who are who are supporting and being a part of that, um, it, that's a that's a great thing. So uh, for my great Christian people, I want to end highlighting a a ministry uh, and a person who developed kind of a really unique way to creatively make an impact around the world. Guys, that's our guest, Justin Hannigan, and Ooh. his ministry ends cycling. Um, 
If you are interested in making an impact around the world in the lives of youth, N-Cycling is an amazing way that you can be a part of doing that. You can use the abilities. You can be a Miss Brenda on a bike. You can go and you can give your time. You can serve. You don't even have to be on a bike. I have been on a tour and never once rode a bike. Uh, I played some songs. I drove a van. Uh, and And it's a beautiful thing where they are going all over the uh, country doing these bike rides, raising funds, raising awareness, praying and seeing God work, bringing light into very dark places. And so if you're listening at this point and we are super grateful, if you are, uh, please take a minute and go to ncycling.com. E N D S E N D S cycling.com and find out what they're doing. Find out how you can be involved. Hannikin, we're starting to run low on time, but is there anything you want to say about that? I'll just say, man, thanks for letting me share. Thanks for for spotlighting that ministry. And my great Christian person, I've already mentioned a couple of times in this episode, but Greg Steer. Um, I just want to say thank you to Greg Steer for uh, revolutionizing youth ministry, for mm-hmm. pointing the entire church back toward evangelism and being the absolute uh, champion for young people sharing their faith with other young people. So my, my great Christian person that I want to give a shout out is Greg Steer. That's amazing. Justin, we are so grateful for you. We are grateful for Karina and, uh, and your beautiful children. It was a joy on Sunday to get to look down and see them in worship on their own. Uh, that, is, that is good Christian parenting right there. And so we are, we are very, very grateful for you. And guys, if you're listening, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure that you subscribe to us on the social medias. You can follow us on Facebook, at Twitter, at Pod. Email us at goodchristianpod at gmail.com. We would love an opportunity to continue this conversation. And next week, we're going to have part two with our youth pastor, Dave Kurtz. We're going to look at some of the challenges facing the church and how parents uh, can be involved in discipling this next generation, particularly during this uh, chaotic time of COVID. And we're going to give some practical ways to disciple in the midst of all of this. And until then, be be good. good. been listening to good christian people the podcast today's episode was recorded on august 20th by jeff higgins and tim Byer, two pastors living in beautiful glen burnie maryland if you'd like to see more of our content please follow us online at at gcp pod on twitter or check out our website at goodchristianpod.com Trying not to cough or burp on oh, the yeah. microphone. Yeah, it's well. I farted once in Fun Friday, so oh, he knows. Just, I was there. Yeah, <laughs> I smelled it Everyone. through the video. I laugh, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> the fart heard around the world. Yeah, you still remember it? Oh, it was. It was like at twenty-five minutes. Yeah, David Rajan the- sent me a text from India. <laughs>